I uh, spent a good portion of this week in Daytona Beach, Florida at a minister's uh, conference that was hosted by the drive-in Christian Church of Daytona Beach. Um, and yes, you heard that right. Back in the 1950s, they bought an old drive-in movie theater and they started a church. And so uh, what happens is people will come into the uh, three different entrances. They'll get their communion at the entrance. They will pull into the field. Uh, they will tune their radio to 88.5. The preacher gets up on a kind of a balcony area and they worship. And there's a building in the middle of the field where if you want coffee and donuts, you can go and do that. Uh, but it was an interesting experience. If you're ever in Daytona Beach, I would encourage you to go check that out. Um, there's been a number of national stories done on this church over the years because it is so unique. But it was interesting talking to the minister. He said, it's really weird when you preach not being able to see people's eyes because you're looking at windshields. Um, but when they, you say something that they like, they honk their horns. So it's a reminder that there's not just one way to do church. There's a lot of different ways that you can do church, and that's how they do it down in, in Daytona Beach. Uh, we're in a January series called Reset. Uh, I think a new year is a good time for us to reset our lives, to reset our priorities, to reset our goals and our focus for a, another year. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about core beliefs and why it is important that we have core beliefs, that we build our lives on our core beliefs. Um, and, and today, uh, we're going to uh, move to a different question. Uh, and that question is this. Are there rules or guidelines that you tend to follow in living your life? In your family, are there rules that you set up so that your family will function in a healthy manner? Are there rules that you expect your children to adhere to so that they will hopefully behave themselves and live uh, productive lives. In our culture, we have laws uh, so that we can have a civil society. These laws are uh, to protect us and to maintain order. And if you break those laws and, and you get caught, then you can suffer the consequences, different depending upon the law that you, that you break. As Christians, there are certainly rules or commandments that Jesus gives us in Scripture. And so if we want to be his followers, then we need to try to obey those rules and live our lives according to them. What are some of those rules? Let's think about this. The greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said on these two things, hang all the law and the prophets Jesus gives us the golden rule in the Sermon on the Mount. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Talk to others the way you want to be talked to. Can you imagine how different our world would be if people, more people actually live by that rule? Jesus tells us to forgive 70 times 7, that there should not be a limit to forgiveness. He says, remove the log from your own eye before you take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. He tells us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. He tells us to look out for the least of these, to care for the poor. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Jesus tells us not to judge, not to retaliate, not to commit adultery. He gives us rules about money. 
Uh, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and wealth. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't live in fear. He asked the question, why do you worry about your life? Can you add a single hour or day to your span of life by worrying? So we are supposed to adhere to these rules, these guidelines, if we are to be Jesus' followers, Jesus' people. But if we go back in Scripture to what Pharaoh read this morning, back into the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, and we follow the story of the Israelite people, we find another set of rules that should be central to our lives. And we call these rules the Ten Commandments. You remember the story. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've started their journey through the wilderness in search of the promised land, a journey that would go for a really long time. They reach Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments. And God speaks to him and says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. The Ten Commandments, also known as the Decalogue, became the basic law of Israel, a gift from God showing his people how they are to live their lives as a part of the covenantal relationship. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to deal with the people's relationship to God, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning, and the next six have to do with their relationship to each other, uh, Commandments 5 through 10. Um, Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon uh, both teach at Duke or have taught at Duke. Hauerwas is retired. They wrote a great book on the Ten Commandments called The Truth About God. I've recommended it here over the years, and they say this. The commandments are not guidelines for humanity in general. They are a countercultural way of life for those who know whose they are and who they are. Their function is not to keep American culture running smoothly, but rather to produce a people who are in our daily lives a sign, a signal, a witness that God has not left us to our own devices. We have the Ten Commandments because we have been delivered and redeemed by God. Now, we cannot study the Ten Commandments without first taking into consideration the opening statement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Yahweh is a liberating God. But in a covenantal relationship, Yahweh expects something from his people. It's not just a one-way street. So here's what happens. Moses leaves his brother Aaron in charge while he goes up on Mount Sinai. The Israelites, as they often do, grow restless, and they go to Aaron and they say, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so Aaron, who is weak, gives in, and he says, Okay, gather all your jewelry and earrings and that of your family and bring them to me. And the Bible tells us that he took all these things, he melted them together, and he, he created a golden calf so that they could worship it. And meanwhile, back up on the mountain, the Lord says to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have turned from me, and they are now worshiping golden calves 
as their God. And so Moses heads back down to deal with the situation. If he recalls when he gets down, he's so angry that he throws the commandments down, they shatter into a million pieces. Now this morning, I want to lift up the first four. The first and second commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol. Presbyterian pastor Timothy Keller writes this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, what's an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can and should give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and so essential to your life that should you lose it, should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Now, we may not have golden calves per se, but there are plenty of idols in our culture and in our lives that we turn to on a regular basis. So let me name a couple this morning. And this could be a long list, but I'll name a few. Idol number one, self. There are many people who worship themselves. They think that life revolves around them. They're only concerned about what they want. And the concept of putting other people first doesn't even begin to cross their mind. Idol number two, money. Frederick Nietzsche, I said this last week, he once predicted that Western culture would replace God with money. And to a large degree, he was right because we live in a world where it's all about money. There are very few things in our world that motivate people the way that money does. But Jesus is very clear about this subject in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you cannot serve both God and wealth. One will always win out. Idol three, social status. We want to know the right people. We want to be in the right place. We want to go to the right parties. We want to send our kids to the right schools. We want to have the right connections. And so what happens is people treat certain people differently if they think that they can help them climb that ladder. Idol four, physical beauty. It's amazing how much time and money and energy is spent into making people uh, look young, stay young, never grow old. And there's nothing wrong with taking care of ourselves. I think some of us could work harder to take care of ourselves in the, in the new year until it becomes an obsession and it dominates our lives and our budgets. Another idol, number five, children. And I say this very carefully as a father of three. Uh, I love my children. Um, we live in an age where many people love their children so much that they love and dote on them constantly. They give them everything that they want and they protect them from all failure at all costs, but they forget that their primary role is to be parents and not their children's buddy. They have conversations with their kids that they should be having with their spouse. Uh, sometimes parents will neglect everything in their lives, including their marriage, to give their children everything, which is not healthy. Children, yes, children can become an idol. Another idol, material things, houses, cars, furniture, designer clothing, shoes, purses, handbags, jewelry, watches, all the things that we think we have to have to be happy, but the joke is always on us. We get this stuff, but it doesn't satisfy us. We always need more. Another idol, politics and political ideology. Another idol, work. 
Many of us are guilty of being workaholics and then we justify it by saying we're doing this for our family. We're doing this to, to provide for our family, but we miss a lot of what happens in our family life while we're working. Emerson once said, a person will worship something, have no doubt about that. We might think that our tribute is paid in secret, in the dark, the dark recesses of our heart, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, because what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Commandment number three, do not make wrongful use of the Lord's name. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, as it says in, in other translations. Um, most people, when they hear this commandment, they think of, of one thing. You shall not swear and use the Lord's name, uh, saying GD or Jesus Christ or uh, some other type of, uh, 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 of profanity when you're angry or upset. This is what first comes to mind, right? Uh, there's a story, I think I heard Andy Stanley tell this story. He said there was this guy who used to be a heathen, but one day he got converted to Christianity, and he cleaned up his language. Uh, but whenever he was around his former heathen friends, when somebody would, would curse and they would say, Jesus Christ, he would always quickly jump in and go, loves you? <laughs> and so he made it an opportunity to complete the sentence for that person. Um, why is it that when we get mad, when we get upset, when we get angry, why is the deity... <laughs> our first choice of words to use. You ever thought about that? You know what the most powerful organ in our body is? Do you know what organ has the ability to do great things and terrible things? It has the ability to build up and to tear down, to make friends and to tear apart friendships, to love and to hate. You know what organ that is? It's our tongue. Tongue is a muscular organ. The words that we say have amazing power. Power for good and power for evil. Power to help other people and power to hurt other people. Power to find solutions and power to criticize. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. James chapter 3, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. We should always be very, very careful what we say and how we say it. And when we get angry, which we all do in life, when we get angry, when we get worked up, when we get mad, when somebody does us wrong, sometimes it's better to just not say anything or type anything, or text anything, or post anything in this digital age. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. You know, I truly grieve the fact that this commandment is ignored by so many people. I truly grieve the fact that Sunday has just become another day to get work done, to stay busy, to check things off the list, when it should be a day to worship, to rest, and to be with our families. 
if you come to my house in the middle of the afternoon, you'll usually find, you can ask Megan, she'll verify this, you find me on the couch with either a football game on or a golf match on, and I'll, I'll probably be sleeping, I'll be napping. Um, preaching three times on Sunday morning will take it out of you. If you want to try it, let me know. Um, it, it, it's, it, it takes a lot of energy, a lot, a lot of effort. But part of the reason that I do this on Sunday afternoon is because I believe in this commandment. I believe that God wants us to rest. Why? Because God knows that we need the rest. There's an author named Matthew Kelly. He wrote a book years ago called The Rhythm of Life. And he says this, he says, The world is full of men and women who work too much and sleep too little and hardly ever exercise. They eat poorly. They're always struggling or failing to find adequate time to spend with their families. We are in a perpetual hurry, constantly rushing from one activity to another with little understanding of where all this activity is leading us. Modern parents, he says, find themselves in a constant rush hurrying from work to school to daycare to baseball to hockey to ballet to the doctor to the supermarket to the mall to church even college students living a life of leisure in the truest sense of the word are always complaining about how busy they are and the stress and pressure that they are under the world has gone and gotten itself into an awful rush to whose benefit I do not know but we are too busy for our own good we need to slow down because if we don't, our lifestyles are going to destroy us. There is a rhythm to life. There is a rhythm to working hard and then resting. There is a rhythm to, to going hard and then taking a break. There is a reason why we schedule vacations to get away and to remove ourselves from our context for a little while. Ignore this commandment to your own detriment. We have to maintain this rhythm of life. And if we don't, we will crash and burn and burn out. Sabbath, ordained by God. Jesus said, Mankind was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for mankind. Next Sunday, we'll look at rules, commandments, five through ten. But in the meantime, reflect upon how you're thinking about these first four as it pertains to your relationship with God. Amen.